Welcome to our on-air series on the City Business Festival. It's brought to you by APSA and the GIPC. Today we'll be speaking about how small and medium enterprises and even micro-enterprises can respond to the challenges that COVID-19 presents. My guest today is an entrepreneur, founder and executive director of the Boardroom Africa Embrace Energy. She's quite an accomplished business person. And of all her accomplishments, she was recently named among the 100 most influential Africans. She's in the person of Marcia Ashon. And Marcia will help us uh, get more insights into how small and medium companies can rearrange themselves and get into post-COVID shape. Marcia, great to have you on the City Business Festival. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me, Bernard. Wow, you've done so much in a short time and I'm so impressed about what you've achieved. So of all the areas that you have uh, scratched, how would you describe yourself? This is because I'm seeing law, petroleum, entrepreneurship. I'm seeing all kinds of things. So how do you describe yourself? Um, I, I think I describe myself as um, restless. <laughs> Um, just because I, I believe that um, my, I guess the reason why I've kind of pivoted industries and or careers quite often is because I just, I just have interest in so many areas and I'm always looking for the next activity that's the most exciting thing to do. And so I've, I've had this unique uh, privilege of having not only um, enjoy the the fruits of um, the corporate world, but also really going through the twists and turns of what um, uh, an entrepreneur really is, and and that's been an exciting journey over the past few few years. Brilliant. A lot of people who discuss business globally will typically be thinking of large companies. But I think in West Africa, particularly Ghana, I'm sure it's fair to say that if we are discussing business, it should not be wrong to spend a lot more time on the micro, small and medium enterprises. So how true is this that these are the typical businesses we have and what role do they play in our economy? Oh, yeah, it's a, that's a great question. Um, and, and so before I answer that question, I think it is important to um you really talk about the the period that we're in and also to point out that first and foremost um we are in a public health crisis therefore any intervention or relief effort um, must be prioritized for that sector now with that being said um as governments issue uh or in some parts relieve these shelter-in-place orders or lockdowns that we've grown to popularly know them to be, um, asking residents to remain at home or have limited movement for all but essential errands and businesses has created an incredibly difficult reality for many, uh, many MSMEs, especially for those that have been traditionally customer-facing. So while we must prioritize the health and safety of um of of everyone i believe we must also recognize the economic pull that this pandemic is wreaking on 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 the globe and very quickly determine interventions that are necessary now so to your question of what role msmes play i'd say it boils down to what economies as a whole are made of in fact the growth of this market segment in particular acts as a strong indicator of a growing economy. So often we talk about GDP, 
when we measure economic performance, yet in very simple terms, GDP is merely the monetary measure of all the finished goods and services that are produced in any specific country. Uh, moreover, SMEs make up the bulk of these um, goods, and, goods and services that are finished within the country. And they also create a huge chunk of the available uh, employment in, in most countries. In the African context, roughly 80% of all the region's employ uh, employment are created by MSMEs. So you cannot simply ignore them or left, uh, leave them to fend for themselves during this crisis. Um, and it's, it's, just a, it's just a matter of the fact that we just can't afford to do that. And that's why many governments, um, uh, Ghana inclusive, have focused a great deal of their efforts in ensuring that these crop of businesses do not fail during these times. In Ghana, we have several initiatives that have been availed. Um, the Coronavirus in, uh, Alleviation Program or the CAP program, which has been established by the government and housed under the NBSSI, yeah, uh, which is a 1.2 billion city program. We also have the MasterCard Foundation Recovery and Resilience Program, which is an approximately 90 million city initiative, also housed under the NBSSI. Um, so the, the latter takes a shape of um, grants and, and soft loans. Um, so, so to sum up your question, I suppose the main challenge that I see moving forward would be to what extent will these initiatives really rise to the challenge of actually meeting the needs of the broader category of businesses that need their support. But to the extent that they are largely informal and are not really in the records of state agencies, be it taxing agencies or even business registration for some of them, how does that make any attempt to support them or know what's happening difficult? As you know, they say you can't manage what you can't measure. So if you don't know who they are, we don't know where they are, how much they spend every month, they don't file their tax returns, some of them are even itinerant. How much of that is a challenge? And how do we work around that to create policies to support them? Um, I guess it's, again, it's back to the point, I guess we were discussing prior to this session, which is what is your, what is our understanding of what an MSME is? And I think if you're looking at the official understanding of it, it's largely those businesses that are in some ways formalized, be it um, whether they are registered with the um, registrar or, or, or are paying taxes. So that broader group of um, companies are, are largely considered formal. Um, and they can be micro and still be considered formal. Now, I totally agree with you in, uh, with re regards to the informal sector. It becomes extremely hard and, and almost in some cases very difficult to initiate um, relief to support these types of businesses, largely because of the disposition they find themselves in. They are informal. They have little... Uh, public record of them, we cannot understand fully um, what struggles they're experiencing, and we can't put a finger on on a lot of data surrounding these types of uh, of, of companies or, or establishments. So it makes it extremely difficult for 
government interventions to also target them. But we also know that these types of entities or, um, or, or informal establishments also play a huge role um, in our running of the economy and, and how the economy functions. I mean, if you look at um, market women and their ability to move goods on a daily basis that support our livelihoods, if you look at trotro drivers and how they're really taking our uh, transportation sector and, and public trans transportation sector and really provided um, means of transport for a great majority of our, um, of our commuters, it, it, it does beg the question as to what is it that we can really do to identify these types of, uh, of entities and ensure that they also thrive within this environment. But for the most part, um, uh, those that are categorized as MSMEs are largely um, falling within the informal sector. Oh, sorry, uh, in the formal sector. Okay, so when we listen to the CEO of the MBSSI, she categorizes them on number of employees she said, for example, below five is micro, six to 29 is small, 30 to 100 is medium. Is it the best way to categorize them? Or should we be thinking along the lines of if they are into goods and services or whether they are into trade? So what's the best way to categorize them for policy intervention's sake? Should size be the best way to do this? That's a very good question. And in fact, one that I've been uh, debating quite a lot with a few um, colleagues over the past several weeks, especially as these types of interventions have been availed. Um, and I completely agree with you. Um, there, there is not one size fits all when it comes to the determination of what makes a medium, micro or small or, or enterprise. And each country has its own definition. There are certain countries in the world where a medium enterprise is really in the 100 million range, right? And anything below that could become, a, yes, anything below that could be a small business, right? Um, in certain respects, um, a, a, a business that is a, a $10 million business in, in some respects in other jurisdictions do not even make the category of a medium enterprise. So it really goes to the heart of the definitions. I personally, I'm not sure whether basing it purely on, um, on the number of employees gets to the heart of um, the value that that entity provides to the broader economy. I think mm -hmm. it, there's a set for looking at the revenue intake and determining mm -hmm. that as opposed to necessarily looking at the, um, the, the way in which um, the, the, the employee, I mean, because frankly, my intervention, if I would prefer a specific intervention, it would go to those that employ the most because that's where um, the impact is felt the most. Okay, before we get to what measures we can put in place to support them, in your mind, what is the most important way they've been affected by this pandemic. Some people talk about job losses generally. Some also talk about market, loss of market, lack of input and stuff. So in your mind, where do you think these businesses have been most badly hit by the COVID-19 pandemic? Um, a lot of these businesses are cash businesses. 
if you take, for instance, a restaurant, um, their main mode of uh, conducting business is by burning cash and creating cash, right? And so if you're in a situation like a restaurant where your main revenue um, options are taken away or largely cut in half or in some regards even a quarter, uh, you're only getting a quarter share of your initial uh, revenue, then you're in a very dire situation. And in some places you, you have um, a month or even just two months to really survive. Mm-hmm. Um, so when you have uh, your cash strapped in that respect, then you start having the uh, fallback of, of all the other things that are um, aligned with that, you know, losing your core base of employees or even um, having to furlough them, um, mm-hmm. having to come up with interesting measures that um, can keep your employees in place, but maybe you may have to reduce your own salary as an as as the leader or founder of that uh, organization. The, the fallback is really due to the fact that their revenues have been slashed mm-hmm. and, mm-hmm. and everything else is, comes as a result of that. They are not getting enough customers. Um, their customer base is largely at home, so their needs have completely changed. Their um, vendors' needs have completely changed. They're now in a position where um, they have large overhead costs in some regards, especially if you're in an establishment. Um, you have large overhead costs and, and are having to, in some ways, renegotiate um, your lease or rent agreements. So there, there are quite a lot of um, spillover effects as a result of the limited cash coming in. Brilliant. This is the City Business Festival, our on-air series. This is our fourth day, and we're discussing how do you get your business back after COVID-19. And we're focusing on MSMEs in particular. And my guest is Marcia Ashong. She's the founder and executive chief executive of the Boardroom Africa Embrace Energy. She also has a background in international energy, petroleum law, done a lot of work in oil and gas industry, held leadership roles in four different continents. And interestingly, in 2017, she was named among Ghana's 20 top under 40 business leaders. And she's also an Archbishop Desmond Tutu Fellow from 2019. And as I'm speaking to you now, she's been listed among the 100 most influential Africans. She's happy to be talking to us about small business because she feels they are the backbone of our industry. It's interesting because you are in the oil and gas uh, industry, Marcia, and in that sector, the companies are very large and i've sat in discussions where they say oh let's create local content for smaller companies i don't know if you've any comment on this are the small Ghanaian businesses getting anything from this oil sector at all oh i have i have an entire view on that which probably requires an, an another session to to delve into all the things i have to say about that but but in short um i think the oil sector is, is an interesting one because um, local content really plays a critical part in how the industry is seen or, or how it derives local value. Um, but when it comes to large um, corporations like the one, the one I used to work for or other um, oil service companies or even oil explorers, the main goal is um, to ensure that they 
can do their business in, in the most effective way. And I find that there's, sometimes there's perceived to be a tug of war between what these entities want and what the government necessarily wants. Oftentimes we don't realize that these um, needs or wants might actually align in some ways. For instance, mm-hmm. where um, local jobs or ensuring that local vendors are, con- uh, are, are participating is concerned. Um, and the reason why I say that is because most um, oil companies are also, especially during this time where the, where the oil prices have completely been slashed, um, they are more so interested in how um, effectively I can cu- cut my costs. And cutting costs means that I leverage as much as I can local goods and services. And if I cannot do so, then it means my input costs are increased. And if my input costs are increased, it makes it extremely hard to be profitable as any business, whether it's large or small. So to, to, to say that there is a dichotomy that, um, you know, these businesses, especially oil businesses, have in, in wanting to use local or employ local, it's, I think it's, it's, it's largely a myth. I think they want to do so. It's really the enabling environment for all their needs and their wants and, and all of these um, different um, stakeholder interests to align. Mm. And that's where I think the biggest problem lies within the oil industry. Okay. I'll be glad to discuss that on a different platform another time. So let's get back to our topic for today. Now, are you wondering whether my topic for today is the caption is even right? Because we're talking about how to get your business back after COVID-19 with a focus on SMEs. But listening to you, I think the focus is more on how the system can get businesses back because I think there's precious little on how much small businesses can do without official state support. Um, I, I, yes and no. Um, and I'd say it's a combination of both. There are a ton of things um, businesses themselves can do without um, government intervention. So for any business, my first inclination is to say that, first of all, if um, you're not already doing so, it is important that you start to develop and adapt business continuity plans or BCPs. Mm -hmm. They allow a company to deliver its services and ride the wave during a major disruption. And often they also involve determining um, a range of threat scenarios. And, and then creating a plan of how to maintain business continuity during these, um, these incidents. Uh, it often also means you're retrenching back to your core services and letting less important activities go until the situation takes a turn for the better. Uh, and BCPs will also ensure that the personnel and assets you have are protected and are able to function quickly. So in, in essence, it also, they, they are also supposed to be designed not just for the present, but also in anticipation for the future. And I say this because even when lockdown is lifted, we're still going to be living in an environment where there's going to be a change in human behavior, or as we call it, the new normal, either because of the absolute risk that still exists or because of the lingering threats of COVID-19 or other similar outbreaks. So there's going to be a change in lifestyle that any business continuity plan has to account for. 
So my main point here with regards to BCPs is really for companies to first assess their risk and then explore mitigating factors uh, prior to crisis periods. This will determine how agile your company is, how quickly you can respond to sudden changes in the market, and whether you can, you can or have built um, enough of your systems and processes that foster resilience. And so beyond BCPs, what, uh, another thing a business can do is also look at the opportunities that exist. So coming out of this, we will have to start taking stock of areas in our economies that are still largely underserved. And what better time it is than now for us to start putting into uh, play this made in Africa or made in Ghana ethos. Um, and by that, I mean, what can we produce or develop locally to respond to the slowing down of export and import activities? And how can local businesses really leverage this gap in the market? Also thinking about ways to pivot your services to specifically respond to the, need, the needs of the market, looking at the industry or areas that you're playing in uh, within that determine what has been uh, the effect in that industry and how services and consumer habits have changed. And more specifically, what are the opportunities that exist for pivoting to a different model or changing the way that you do things using current resources. So, 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 so I guess in, in some, yes, government does need to step in. And in some regards they have, but I, I suspect that needs to be upped even more. Um, and, and the, the interventions from the government side, uh, as well as from donors and, and other stakeholders has to reflect, um, the current times that we're in i.e. we're in an emergency situation and as such, it cannot be interventions based on business as usual. However, I think, you know, as a business owner, to just wait for governments to step in is also not a prudent thing to do. You have to consider ways that you can start optimizing your business and taking control of um, the opportunities that lie ahead. Fantastic. So this is what businesses ought to do. But beyond what we see, what government and other stakeholders say, what do you think ought to be done from a policy perspective or from a donor perspective or from whichever perspective to help this backbone of our economy respond to the disruption that COVID has caused? I think um, it's, it's a great start to put in place um, relief programs um, such as the one that is being managed currently by the NBSSI. Um, but I, I believe that we should start to think beyond um, simply the, the monetary aspect of supporting um, organizations and look at other aspects like stimulus programs um, mm-hmm. and, and, and looking beyond just the debt that companies will have to bear in order to get themselves out of this. Because a lot of these initiatives, as you've probably noticed, are allowing companies to access debt, even though that debt may be more patient than the traditional debt. It's still something that um, a business might not necessarily be ready for. So what other incentives are there? Are there tax incentives? Are there import um, you know, subsidies that, that can be applied for certain imported goods? Uh, and what you know, in some in some cases, governments are 
simply just writing checks in, in areas where they can. And, and I'm not suggesting that we do this in our context, although um, it could help, but because I, I just believe that we, we're not in the position to be able to do that as a cash-strapped economy. But I'm looking at what other innovative solutions we can leverage beyond just um, saying that, you know, companies or organizations who meet a specific criteria can come in and apply for those. Okay, so you mentioned opportunities that the whole Eat Ghana, Wear Ghana presents in the sense that because COVID has forced countries to look inward, there could be new niches or places Ghanaian businesses can focus on. I guess the challenge is the productive capacity of our companies. It's very low. And most of our companies are into trading. So they basically buy and sell, uh, go and buy from a place of lower cost and sell at a higher cost or price. So what sort of things would we need to get into to make us manufacturing ready so that we will be properly equipped to enter those sectors? So what 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 do you think how, how can we get the resources and the capacity to enter that field no you're, you're absolutely right and and this is huge um, because i've started a business um and i'm now five years into my own business and i know the effect that it had on me in the very early stages but you can imagine uh, somebody who's also starting a business with very heavy capital outlays at the outset. Um, so where manufacturing is concerned, and these are the areas, obviously, that going into a, a post-COVID-19 environment, we will have to ramp up. Um, mm. So manufacturing, um, you know, agri is one of them. These are very heavy capital outlay businesses. So your question is exactly on point in, uh, as to, yes, it's one thing to say that, you know, we should leverage local services and goods, but there's one thing to actually do it, what types of structures are needed. And I think for, for one, um, you know, we've talked about this One District, One Factory um, uh, initiative. That really needs to make sense for somebody who's starting a business not just for existing businesses, right? Um, also being able to leverage um, financing. And I don't mean, um, you know, when a business starts and they go for uh, venture capitalists, foreign capital, and all these uh, other initiatives that kind of pop up here and there, which require you to have built some um, traction. But also looking at what, can we leverage locally in terms of local capital, local financing? Um, very rarely do I hear of local angel investors. Um, mm. And sometimes when I'm speaking to my uh, friends in other countries and they tell, they tell local um, entrepreneurs, oh, go do friends and family round, that stuff just sends me crazy because there's no such thing in, in most of our scenarios. There's no really such thing as friends and family, because frankly, I don't know how many friends and family can give you $5,000 or $10,000 each to be able to get to your, your raise and, and how much you need. So we have to mobilize local financial resources to target companies and initiatives that are looking to add value 
into the market. And we have to also put our monies where we know people have been successful in the past, right? So when we're looking at entrepreneurs and you're looking at um, investing in somebody's very early stage business, one of the things that investors tend to do is look at the track record of the person and not just the track record of the business. So that's another way in which we can help businesses to get set up without necessarily needing to be at a stage where they've completely proven themselves into the market. Fantastic stuff coming in from our guest on the City Business Festival, Marcia Sean. We're talking to her about how to get our business back after COVID-19. Some interesting insights about finance and raising capital, business continuity planning, reorienting from just selling to be more productive and that type of thing. Finally, how long do you think it will take <laughs> to recover as a country or as an economy? People are talking about great depression levels of economic malaise. What is your reading of how long it will take us uh, to get out? I know we are not out of COVID yet, but I'm just saying, do you foresee us getting back fully by end of 2020? Oh, that's, that's a question that I think economists are great at answering. Um, but I'll, I think I'll do my best as a layperson to, to try to um, navigate through what I think um, it's happening and, and where I see the world headed. Um, first of all, we are not out of COVID-19 yet. Um, and I think it's very clear when we see the increase in numbers, albeit um, the effect that it has had on the African continent has been fairly mild in comparison to, um, to other parts of the globe. But that is not to say that we become complacent and think that it is okay to have increasing numbers and, and not really put measures in place. So first mm -hmm. and foremost, the health situation is still predominantly precarious and we mm. should find ways to continue to build um, health systems that can adequately and public health infrastructure that can adequately contain the spread of the disease because any economic situation um, that we find ourselves in in the coming weeks or months or even years is determined by how quickly we can resolve this public health issue, uh, which is why I said at the outset that first and foremost, this is a public health concern. So we must um, address this public health issue because there is no going back to normal or anything like that without um, first saying, okay, how do we stop people from getting sick? Okay, so, the, so, so following from that, um, then you have the situation of businesses that are um, struggling to figure out what's happening with myself now, but how should I think of a COVID-19 world? Mm -hmm. Well, what I will say is that, first of all, any business should expect and prepare for a new world order. While it is imperative that immediate measures are put in place to ensure businesses are being sustained in the short term, I think it's equally important to set aside time to strategize and prepare for a post-COVID-19 world. And several questions I believe every MSME or even business as a whole should be asking at this time 
these questions are how, first of all, how will the lives and livelihoods of the clientele change? So what, what are my clients thinking? How would their livelihoods uh, change? How, would, how will current um, product offerings that will serve the clientele need to be adjusted? For instance, are they malleable or will they become completely obsolete? And that's a real possibility for many businesses. Um, and thirdly, how can you as a business anticipate what steps your competitors will take? Now, for those that, are, that have really great PR and marketing machinery, this is already being factored in. But for a lot of us who don't have these resources, the, the means, um, this means that we have to be very vigilant about the market that we play within and be observant about our competitive behavioral, uh, behavioral trends. Wow. Wow. Thank you so much, Marcia Ashon, for those fascinating insights into how SMEs can stay resilient in difficult times like these. It's been a great, great pleasure. We've, we've been talking to uh, Marcia Ashong, who's really quite eclectic. She's into the energy sector, but she has a lot of interest and information on SMEs as well. A veritable business leader. That's all we have time for today's edition of the Honor Series of the City Business Festival, brought to you by APSA Bank and, of course, the GIPC.